listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Paige Wilson. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast brought to you by IBM. This is the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Thanks for joining us for episode 277, and it's September 1st Friday Q&A, Mark. It's awesome. Everybody loves our first Friday Q&As. We've been getting more questions ever since we asked people to send more questions, and I've actually had three people reach out saying we need to do this as a regular podcast. Oh, man, that's a lot. I already have two podcasts. Well, I'm not so sure that it would be you and me. I guess it would almost have to be you and me, though. Well, that's the only reason they like it, huh? Yep. Yeah, that's true. You know, I have good points over here. <laughs> All right, people. But if y'all really want us to do this, I need just a little bit more volume and questions. We're actually almost there. And actually, what's really cool, too, is the questions I don't put in here are starting to diminish them just a little bit. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Good. All the spam bots. Well, no, not the spa- spam bots. Are, are the people looking for yeah, husbands? Yeah, people looking for spouses and jobs. Mm. We got a review. You want to read it? No, you can read it. All right, so this is from Steven Sistruck. He's Global Risk Manager Products and Feedstocks at XOM. For someone who lives in Katy and works up in the woodlands, you have definitely made those drives a lot easier over the years, whether it be updates on geopolitics, learn about my gas power, my weakness, or page venting my frustrations in a way that she can. <laughs> I got Always you, dude. look forward to this week in oil and gas. If you have any questions on the trading side of things, feel free to hit me up in the future. Happy early Labor Day. Thanks, Steven. In our mix of future podcasts is a trade podcast. We've had a lot of requests for it. So Stephen, I'm going to actually reach out to you, set up a phone call just so we can talk through this so I can understand what people that are in the trading side of the industry would like to hear in a podcast. But I love the review. Thank you very much. That just made me crunch because that's more people I have to train. <laughs> I'm so done, dude. She is done. We have a bunch of new shows coming out in a couple of weeks and she's had to train every single one of our new hosts. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot. All right. Well, let's get into the questions. Of course, we're starting off with Ludwig. Now 20 million households are behind on energy bills. How much federal tax is there on electricity and heating? What can the USA federal government do to help people? So there's local taxes on things like steam heat, electricity, natural gas. There's federal taxes on it as well. But really, Ludwig, if the federal government wanted to help, they need to increase the amount of the raw feedstocks, so the actual hydrocarbons, the crude oil, the natural gas. And they need to do that by lowering the cost that they've been imposing on the industry. Where people can make more money, then they can produce more product. And right now, politically, it's getting harder and harder for the oil and gas industry to make a profit in the U.S. And I know I'm going to get a bunch of hate mail saying all the super majors have record profits in the last year. Yes, but you got to counter that with the fact they lost money for the last decade, right? And they're a business and they're not a charity. So if you really want to lose, make it cheaper for people to have electricity, have energy, the governments need to lower the cost of that energy by lowering the cost on the raw feedstock. And it's not just here. And you're talking about what's going on in the Netherlands. In the Netherlands, you're saying electricity and natural gas is the most expensive in all of Europe. And the government gets is this right, Ludwig? 92.4% tax rate? That's insane if that's legit. Somebody might need to fact check that. But if that's how much the government's taxing electricity and heating in the Netherlands, that is just wrong. And I no wonder it's the highest in Europe. We don't tax that much here. We really come close to that. It's less than 10%, both in a state and a federal level. That's insanity. Yeah. Stuff's expensive in the Netherlands. Same way in Norway. Beautiful part of the world, a really beautiful part that's of the world. That's probably why it costs so much. <laughs> yeah. Not really, but, yeah. but Anyway, Ludwig, thank you for your question. All right. Next one is from Sierra Cat. 
Kathy. First and foremost, your podcast gives me the most out of my traveling time and cardio workouts. Thank you. Time is money. And as we all know, being in our industry, your podcast fulfills my time with knowledge is rewarding. I relate to Paige with experience in the field. I have felt it's my purpose to show other women they can accomplish field work and be feminine. I'm locally in Houston and would love to talk to Paige and Mark and get the message out there for other oil and gas women. Okay, I guess I need to clear something up. I've never actually worked in the field. I've been to the field, never actually worked in it. My background is regulatory compliance. So that means I'm in the office getting your drilling permits, amendments to drill, all that type of stuff. But I am not actually in the field. Do I have FRs and steel toes? Yeah, I have my PPE in case I need to go out there. The only rig I've ever actually been on was when Mark and I actually met at the rig tour. And it was post-fabrication. So while I appreciate the compliments, that is not in fact true. Just wanted to clarify. Now, but we both spent a lot of time in and around field and field equipment with OGGN because everybody and their brother-in-law wants us to go to their conference, their trade show, their expo. And Sierra, if you want to come hang out and you're in Houston, we do these monthly get-together industry mixers. Come to one. There's a small fee at the door. I think it's 20 bucks, but the money goes to help fight human sex trafficking. We'd love to meet you in person. Yeah, yeah, show up. Yeah, and just pay attention to our social media, specifically LinkedIn. Our next one's the last Thursday of this month. So depending on when this show comes out, you may still have time to make it. Woo. All right, next one is from Jay Holmes. Hey, he's a fact checker. (laughs) There we go. We'll just ask him. At Aries, huge fan of your podcast. I did some research over the holiday weekend, and guess what? Oil and Gas This Week is the longest running oil and gas podcast in the world. Add that to your marketing message. Whoa, Jay. First, I think I knew that. Did you? Yeah. That's incredible that we've been doing this longer than anybody else. Second thing. Jay, you're not really a fact check. I know Aries. I actually know Aries well. But I do appreciate this bit of information. This is something we'll probably add to our marketing message. So thank you. All right. Scott Dennis says, hi, guys. So much has been written about Germany's dependency on Russian gas. My question is, how did Germany supply gas when the USR collapsed? Big fans, as always, Scott. That's a really great question, Mark. It is a great question. It's also one of our I think, first 10 questions from Twitter. So just another way to get in front of us. If you're on Twitter, it's at official OGGN. You can send your questions in that way. So Scott, the fall of the USSR was 1991. The reason I know that is that I was in the Cold War as a United States Marine. And so I remember very specifically when it collapsed. At that time, Germany ran almost all of its operations, all its electrical generation, all its steam generation off coal. Ah, that makes sense. So there was a dependence on Russian natural gas. Now, they got their coal from all over the world, including Russia. And when the USSR collapsed, all the state-controlled operations fell apart and people were starving to death. And the people that mined coal then sold it to Germany for pennies on the dollar because they didn't have the USSR state in its way. So actually, when the USSR fell, fell the next couple of years, Germany got coal really cheap, much cheaper than they were getting from Russia before, mm. right? So they weren't using natural gas like they are now. And what happened with the natural gas is, and boy, I'm going to get hate mail on this one. Germany had a project to move over to about 25% renewables called Interwind and to lower their CO2 output, and it failed. And so in order to keep their CO2 output from going up too high, instead of building cold-fired electrical generation plants when Interwind failed, they built natural gas. Because if you don't know this, if you just switch from coal to natural gas to generate electricity, you drop your emissions by 60%. That's what built their dependency on natural gas in Russia. Oh, okay. Well, I learned, I, learned, I learned something today. Yeah. There you go. Next one is from Ricardo Lanes. Hi, Mark. It's been a while. I don't know if you remember me from a question in a podcast from Gallyhand or Roustabout. You suggested in the podcast welding. However, with a lot of help of the Lord, I ended up on subsea ROVs future. Do you see with them in the oil and gas industry? I do not hear much about them. Beautiful experience though. 
I do remember the question. I remember specifically Galley Hander asked about, congratulations, Ricardo, great place to land. The future is going to be enormous. So these ROVs and it's remote operated vehicles, in a subsea installation, you have a bunch of parts and pieces. You have subsea trees, you have plets, you have manifolds, you have separation devices, and they use these basically underwater robots to operate repair, inspect all this. So you're in a place that is growing like crazy. In fact, Technip FMC, big shout out to those guys. They have some of the most advanced ROVs in the world. And what they did is when they decided they needed some really good ROVs, they just found the best company on the planet. They just bought it, right? The next thing though, Ricardo, is these same needs. So being able to monitor, inspect, repair things underwater also are needed by the wind farms they're building offshore. So this is a great place you'd be. It's a huge future. You don't see a lot about it. And I don't know why, because I think it's cool as bleep. <laughs> I'm going to bleep myself right there <laughs> to see what these ROVs do. And it's one thing to watch the ROVs that are cabled. So basically you have an operator on the surface. It's basically a remote control car. What's really cool is the ROVs, there is no cable doing it, what it needs to do by itself with artificial intelligence. Oh, that's neat. Yeah. And that's very common too. So Ricardo, you're in a great place with a great future forever. Awesome. All right. Next one's from Lisa Hudson, business development manager at Greenfield Environmental Solutions. Hey guys, I love the show and really appreciate the work you guys do. I wanted to get your insight on the PA business. We are a startup company focusing on PA activities. We operate rigs, cement, wireline, and coil tubing to get wells plugged, operating mostly in the Rockies for now. With rigs already being in short supply and the federal orphan well program funding finally allocating to the states, I have a big concern that many rigs are going to be absorbed into the PA side, making LOE and other workover rigs near impossible to get done in any sort of reasonable time frame. What are your thoughts on how do you think this will affect the market production? Thanks again for all you do for our amazing industry. And Paige, if the audience doesn't know what PA is, plug in an abandonment. Plug in abandonment. It's basically how you take a well offline safely and make it safe for the future. Super, super plug important. Plugging it with cement. Not concrete. I've been fussed at too many times by getting those two <laughs> things mixed up. So I've learned my lesson. So, Lisa, not only are you right, it's going to be unfortunately probably worse than you think. So, one of the things that's happening right now is we have this global shortage of hydrocarbons on land. When you're drilling a new well, it's about how fast can you get that well drilled. It's almost like an automobile assembly line, like how fast can Toyota build Camrys. So what's happened is a lot of these older rigs are being taken offline and they're bringing newer, higher horsepower, uh, more high-tech rigs because they get wells completed quicker. Those older rigs are being sold outside of the U.S. overseas because the whole world needs to drill wells on land, right? Mm -hmm. Unfortunately for you, I suspect that y'all are probably using the little bit older, less horsepower rigs for your lease operating expenses yeah. work. Those could be sold outside the U.S. The new rigs are very expensive and they're going to be very hard to get. Um, there's literally a waiting list because there's only a handful of companies in the world that make these land rigs. And like I said, the industry is moving toward higher tech, higher horsepower, more mobile rigs. Right. So if y'all actually own rigs instead of leasing them. Take care of them. Make sure you do your maintenance, baby them, kiss them goodnight at night because you're going to have a hard time getting rigs in probably for the next couple of years, unfortunately. Now, with all that said, that means that there's going to be a bigger demand for your business so you can charge more. Yeah. So ho hopefully it helps, Lisa. All right. Next one is from Oscar Winter Clausen. Dear Mr. LaCour, Firstly, longtime listener, first time writing in. I love the show. You two have some amazing insights into the industry and make it easy to digest the information. I've always struggled with keeping on top of the news and your weekly show is perfect for me. So again, great work. Secondly, I'm from the UK. I'm 22, graduating with a master's in petroleum engineering for a top university over here with fantastic marks. My goal is to become a commodities energy trader analyst. In your opinion, do you think that would be 
better to get a practical on-site experience in oil and gas following graduation or go straight for the trading side and try and land graduate position at a bank. I asked this question because in the UK, not sure about elsewhere, to join a graduate engineering program for a major player, you usually need to sign a three to five year commitment, which I've been advised against as you have. Little upwards mobility, tough to exit if the environment is toxic, stagnant pay, etc. But if you think the practical experience would be a major advantage compared to working, say, in Macquarie as a junior analyst, then I would be happy to go that route. I want to stand out at interviews. Thank you in advance. Okay, for the first time ever, drum roll. Uh, Oscar, I'm going to introduce you to Steven with ExxonMobil, who gives <laughs> our review, who's a trader. He is much better at giving you the advice of what you should do, especially in the UK side of the house. I didn't realize that you had to sign a commitment if you went and worked for the major players. The other thing that's going on in the UK is you don't have all these smaller independent players like we have here. And you would have a visa issue if you wanted to come over here, although I bet companies would sponsor your visa. So I'm going to make an email introduction to Steven with ExxonMobil, who's on the trading floor, and let y'all have this conversation. I bet he's give you some great direction. And Steven, see what you get for writing in for a review? <laughs> <laughs> but he said he wanted to help, which is great. But if for some reason you don't get a chance to connect with Steven, I would not sign anything with a no. five-year commitment. So I think what I would do is I'd probably go work for a bank, even if it was a junior analyst, get some experience there, then go back to the bigger players and go, look, I have experience doing this trading stuff with a big bank. I want to work for you, but I'm not signing a three or five-year commitment. And then you have leverage because now you have experience. But let me connect you with Steve with ExxonMobil and let y'all two chat. All right, next one's from Shannon McGregor, project manager at Acker Solutions. Paige, I love your openness about everything. To hear a professional like yourself be so down to earth is refreshing and different. I too want you to do the beauty blog. Damn it, I guess I have to do it now. <laughs> I'm just kidding. And work in your diet and exercise routine. But instead of it just being a beauty blog, why don't you open it up a little bit more and make it a blog about professional women podcasting in the oil and gas industry? Maybe even bring on some of your peers and friends and talk about what's going on in your lives. Tell me the truth. We're going to cut that out <laughs> yes i'll just say that yeah i'll answer that yeah to make a blog like this is going to be like a pretty brief thing like i'll do my makeup maybe show some outfits talk about my diet and my exercise that would require me to have a whole different other show two podcasts already take up a whole lot of my time and then helping run this company so uh, let me think about that and uh, we'll see what happens yeah, that's starting to get to be a whole lifestyle show. That's yeah. not just a quick blog hit. And Paige is unbelievably busy right now with all these new podcasts that we're bringing on board. But you know what's kind of cool is Shannon, at least, wants to kind of see more behind the scenes of what goes on today. Much less a female podcaster in oil and gas. You know what, Shannon? Just reach out to me, and then I'll call you and tell you what's going on in my life. <laughs> that's probably easier. Next one. This one's hard to see. You want to do this one? I can't yeah. see it. This was sent to me on LinkedIn. Hello, I wish to find a copy of the 2016 oil agreement between the government of Guyana and ExxonMobil. Can you please assist me in this reward? This is from Chris Cobal. Regard. Here's what's crazy. I actually had that contract. Why would you have that? For some modal point work we did a long time ago. Oh. And so he reached out to me and go, that sounds familiar. So I went and hit the archives and I found it and I sent it to him. Good job. So people, I am not your contract research person. It was just pure luck that I had this 2016 agreement between a government of Guyana and ExxonMobil. And it just happened, this guy reached out to me and then I was happy to send it to him or send him a link to it. That'll never happen again. But I am not your global contract research resource. Isn't that funny? Duly noted. It. Yeah, that is funny. With all your menagerie of things. All right. Next one is from John Kilgore. That, that sounds, sounds familiar. I know. Hmm. We're probably connected on LinkedIn or something. Paige and Mark, I look forward to each and every episode and have friends of mine that listen that are not even in the industry. That's awesome. Yeah. Your podcast is that good. 
I have two questions. Number one, what do you think is going to happen with the lifting of the frack ban in the UK? And number two, why don't the super majors push back publicly against all this false and negative information about the oil and gas industry? Would it be in their best interest to have facts out there? So the lifting of the frack ban in the UK, I did not see that one coming. I forecasted last November that the attitude toward our industries could change while we're in this energy shortage. It's a perfect example of how much well, it's changed. Well, it helps that the prime minister trusts yes. getting it. Yeah. What's going to happen? She is going to face a public relations fight of un- epic proportions. Unfortunately, a lot of people think fracking is bad. And it's really people at the core. It's the name. We should not have allowed the geo guys to name this process. They should have brought in a marketing person because if they would have named this process hummingbirds, we would not be having any of these issues right now. Fracking just sounds bad. Well, it comes from fracturing. From fracturing the rock, right? Yeah. But you and I know that. And the oil and gas people know that. The people outside the industry, it just sounds bad. And I promise you, we wouldn't have all this negative pushback against hydraulic fracking if we had named it something like tulips or hummingbirds or something, right? Hugging a rock. We could have named it Hugging Rocks, right? And people would love it. I have a decal on my laptop that says, I fracking love you. <laughs> so the other thing, speaking of geoscience, the other thing is geology is different in the UK. It doesn't have a lot of the hard shale that lends itself to the process of fracking. It has a lot of clay, which is going to make the frack shorter and have to happen more often. And then there's only one company I know of, if I think about it, I'll remember the name, that they did two test wells in the UK and they actually had recoverable hydrocarbons. And then people took them to court and they spent a bunch of money fighting stuff in court and they're just about to go bankrupt. And whatever this company is in the UK, these two test frack wells, it's probably sitting on a gold mine. Because as far as I know, they're the only fracking company in the UK. The UK needs to do this. They have a lot of conventional reservoirs off the coast and they do have recoverable reservoirs using the process of fracking. They're going to get a lot of pushback. It's going to get Tied up in courts because you got to remember the U.S. is the only country in the world where individuals can own the mineral rights. So in the U.K., the government owns the mineral rights. So the government can skip all the individuals that don't like the term fracking, actually do the process and start drilling wells. But they're going to face pushback from the people that provide the sand, pushback from the people that provide the water, from the trucks that need to haul everything because it's looked down upon way worse in the U.K. than it is here. And the reason it's looked down upon, besides the name isn't a great name, is that the public individuals don't benefit from it like they do here. So you go out in West Texas and you meet a guy that's a multimillionaire that was his whole family was poor for a hundred years because they drilled and fracked wells in his land. That's a positive thing, right? In the UK, if they drill a well and you don't get anything for it, the government owns those resources. That's lame. We're the only country in the world that has this. Oh, okay. Okay. Who was it that invented it? Was it George Mitchell? So fracking knows. This is another I'm thinking of something else. No, you're right about George Mitchell. So fracking is not a new technology. It is old. Shell invented it in the 40s to help with lack of water for agriculture in California. It's a water well technique to increase the flow of water. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Right? Then- in the 80s, we invented a horizontal drilling. Okay. You take a new technology, which is horizontal drilling, an old technology, hydraulic fracking, you put it together, which is what George Mitchell did. Okay. And he's the one to figure out how you could recover hydrocarbons doing that. So frack itself is actually invented for water well production, and it's old. It's not even a new technology. But it's bad when the oil and gas industry uses it. Yeah. Well, okay, It's cool. also still a bad name, All too. right. Yeah. Sweet. All right. Next question. It's from Greg Kensley. Hey guys, I have a question. I am a company man for one of the super majors and I love my job. I also 
Love the OGGN This Week podcast. But even though I find myself loving what I do, I can't help to think that there's something bigger I could be doing. I'm a prior service combat veteran, and I know what it is to serve a higher calling. I miss it, to be honest. Anyway, the purpose of this message is simple. I want to get involved with helping and freeing people who are victims of human trafficking. I thought I remembered y'all saying y'all partner with an organization that helps these people, and I'd like to get involved. How can I help? I don't want to just give money. I want to do something that actually matters. Any info you give me or guidance would be greatly appreciated. Thanks for all y'all do. RLTW. So, Greg, I cannot make fun of you for being a ranger. That's Rangers Lead the Way, RLTW. Okay. Because my son is joining the Army. Ha ha. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, 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 Greg, seriously, as a Marine, I've been happy to keep y'all safe for over 250 years. <laughs> Greg, I'm going to reach out to you personally. I'm going to connect you with David Reed, who heads up Red M. That's the organization that you're talking to me about. He also is the chief marketing officer and chief technical officer of National Oil Varco. So since you work for a super major, you're probably already doing business with his company. He has a heart of gold and from the bottom of my heart, Greg. He's one of my favorite people. Yeah, please. Thank you. You're doing the exact right. Thank you for wanting to make a difference in these little girls and little boys' lives. All right. Next one is from Sarah Beasley, project accountant at Kerr McGee Oil and Gas. This is my favorite podcast in my listening mix. You two do such a great job of making complex things easy to understand. Plus, you make me laugh. Paige, you got to do the beauty blog. (laughs) And what's going on with Colorado's SB19181? And I like Mark's segues. I don't know what you mean by what's going on with it. It was signed into law in April 2019. Basically what it is, is it ensures that the oil and gas development operations in Colorado are regulated in a manner that protects public health, safety, welfare, and environmental and wildlife resources. I don't know what else would be going on with it. It's done. It's signed. There's no amendments. Sarah, if that doesn't answer your question, just submit another one and maybe be a little bit more specific. Yeah, that would be helpful. She's a project accountant. I wonder if they had some expenses or costs in her accounting for whatever project Kermagee was doing out there and it was caused by this or there was a fee for this. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, Sarah, be a little bit more specific. I'm happy to help you because now I'm curious, based on your job role, it could be something like that. I'm glad you made the connection because I was just like, I don't know what you mean. All right, next is from Paul Slaughter, Marketing Director at BP. Great show, guys. Love what you are doing. My question is, what is your opinion on the virtual conferences? Those are the ones that you use an online tool and put in a virtual reality environment. Typically, you are there as an avatar, and you get to interact with the other virtual attendees of the conference. And Mark, even though I don't agree with your views on climate change, I listened to all of your episodes of The Balance Point since it's included for free when you scribed behind the curtain. Your interviews are really, really good. Thank you, Paul. That's what I want. You don't have to agree with me, but you got value by listening to it. That's cool. I don't like the virtual conferences that you're in there as an avatar. The idea is awesome. It's cringe. I love the idea. It's not user-friendly. It's not intuitive. And I think we just need a couple more years of technology. You know, when the virtual glasses get where they're cheap and easy to use, and when the navigation is natural, so instead of pressing keystrokes to walk through the virtual hallway, you can actually act like you're walking or something, Mm -hmm. and being able to turn your head and see what vendor on the right is doing, vendor on the left. I think that's when they will come super valuable. But right now, they're just too clunky. And then the other thing is the really good ones need a lot of bandwidth, which if you have it, like we have it here, it's fine. But if you don't have a lot of bandwidth, you get stutters and pauses and freezes while you're trying to talk to or interact with like the vendors or the presenters there. It's I'd just, rather just go in person. Yeah, it's just not mature yet. But I really love the idea. I think give it some more time. And as in-person conferences, especially the bigger ones, keep declining like they have been, I think there will be more and more money put into the virtual environments to get to the point where it's a good experience. I mean, look at some of the video games your kids play, or maybe even you play. Those virtual environments are inclusive. They're intuitive. They're easy to understand. You get so caught up in it, you feel like you're in the game. That's what these conferences need to do. 
All right. So last question is from Ryan Kellogg. Hi, Mark and Paige. I recently came across your podcast and really enjoyed the show. Wish you had been around earlier in my career as you guys are such a great resource for young professionals. My colleague and I recently published an article on the national security side, War on Rock, see link below, that addresses how our industry and government might partner to better address energy security issues. And listening to the range of geopolitics topics that you cover in your podcast, particularly in relation to the fallout from the Russian-Ukraine war, we thought your audience might find it interesting. My question is, the actions do you think would be the most beneficial in lessening future supply shocks here in the U.S. and for our allies abroad? And what policy and or regulatory changes during these times would be the most valuable for the federal and state governments to take best to enable that? So we'll put a link in the show notes, which for some reason, the link didn't show up here so that listeners can check out the article that they published. All right. So what would be most beneficial in lessening future supply shocks is if we could take away OPEC's ability to control supply. Yeah. And there's two ways we can do that. By the way, nothing against OPEC. If I had that much control over the industry, no, I'd probably be making as much money as I could too. There's two ways we can do that. Number one, both sides in U.S. politics have to agree that increasing hydrocarbon production is important and paramount, and both sides have to do everything they can to help that along. If we do that, the U.S. by itself can outproduce OPEC. We can take away their ability to manipulate supply. My bigger thing, and now everybody's really think I'm crazy because what's going on in Ukraine, is I still wish that us and Russia could get along and partner together on global supply of hydrocarbons. It makes just the most sense to me. That's not going to happen. If it happens, it's not going to happen anytime soon. The two scenarios I just gave you aren't based in reality. Both political yeah. sides in the U.S. aren't going to get out of the way. Us and Russia aren't going to partner on hydrocarbon production. So what could we realistically do? A couple of things. If we can increase the speed at which we're building LNG export terminals and then get rid of some of the legislation that's in place, like the methane emissions that's just implemented under the Inflation Reduction Act. Mm. Those are adding costs to nat yep. the natural gas part of the industry. We can get rid of that. Yeah. By the way, people, let me explain about these methane emissions that very simply understand. When they say methane, they really mean natural gas. Natural gas is almost 100% methane. Please, no hate mail. I know there's other gases in there. What happened in the past is that methane would leak out of the operations and nobody cared. Right now, natural gas is so high price-wise that every time there's a methane leak here in the U.S., it's money going out the door. So it's going to self-regulate. The operators don't want methane to leak out anywhere because it's money. It's literally dollar bills going out the door. So we don't need this extra cost by the Inflation Reduction Act. Get rid of that so that we can have abundant, cheap natural gas. Natural gas is very expensive right now. There's a limited supply. Then we can ship LNG to around the world. Now, that's a very practical solution that both political sides could buy into. The left could buy into it because it's much better for the environment. The right can buy into it because it increases our energy security and also increases the energy security for our allies. We could replace Russian gas in Europe if we were allowed to. So there's some my dream list, which would be everybody get out of our way politically and let us just produce as much as we can and take the power away from OPEC or us partner with Russia, both at my dream list. And the reality is let's produce more LNG for the world here from the U.S. and let's get it to the countries that need it. All right. That's it. All right. Hey, you hear me say this before. I'm going to say it again. Now it's the first time you can advertise with us. First time you can buy an ad spot on this show or any of our other podcasts for very little money. The pricing's on the OGGN website. Just go to OGGN.com, hit pricing. If you have any questions, let me know. Where are we with the weekly rig count? All right. United States is down one at 759. Canada's down three at 205. Internationally, we're up 27 at 860. That's a good number. Uh, speaking of good numbers, Lincoln Page is at 50,000. Oh, is it? Did yeah. we hit 50? Yeah, we That's hit 50. awesome. So big wahoo, hoo-hoo, yippee, <laughs> <laughs> whatever. What was that? For everybody that joined... <laughs> 
So if you'd like to be 50,001, go to our LinkedIn page, <laughs> just join. We had an issue that we thought that LinkedIn had capped us out, but we figured out it was actually an error on oh, our Oh, on the group, yeah. yeah. So if any of y'all took a long time to be approved, it's just because we thought we couldn't add anybody else, but I think Paige, you fixed that. While you're out there, go to the website, either OGGN.com or OllingasSweek.com. If you want to ask a question like we just heard of on first Friday Q&A. Oh, ahead. hey, Mark, how did the Houston API luncheon go? Oh, so that it went incredible. So we had about 4,000 people online join us. We had about 80 nice. people in person. We had National Oil Well Varco and HPE on a small panel talk about the reality of using technology in oil and gas. If you want to go watch that recording, it's both on OGGN's YouTube and OGGN's LinkedIn also on OGGN's Twitter and OGGN's Facebook. Oh, all the social. Which, by the way, if you're a company out there and you'd like to have the best of the both worlds, so if you'd like to get in front of actual, the last of the good old boys in the oil and gas industry in person, right, and also tap into our massive global audience online like we did with the API meeting this past Tuesday, reach out to me. We're selling spots. I have November for this year, and then I have, I think, four months for 2023. It is a fantastic way to give your company exposure for not a whole lot of money, and you get the best of both worlds. You get all the bright young people from all around the world on the live stream and you get all the senior people in the oil and gas industry here in the epicenter of the industry in Houston, Texas, in person in that room. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. Well, I had to reel those questions. So you get to spiel off however <laughs> you do. And then finally, if you like myself or any of our experts come to your event, do a keynote, do a live podcast. We're actually filling up. We have in this year, I think I have four speaking spots and we have four or five live podcasts and then next year's filling up well. Oh, no pressure. Yeah, mm. no pressure. But it, it's fun. We have a fun time doing all that. All right. Ready to get out of here? Yes. Remember, folks, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.